0: kids to City of Lights Church, but before they go, I need two volunteers. How can to help me hand these out? Come on. There we go. I got two of them, okay? Okay, raise your hand if you knew the Olympics have started. We're going to have some hand-raising today. <laughs> That's right, Tim. We're going to raise our hands. Okay, so just, I got two jars here. For those that don't know, if you haven't been here very long, these are our Peterson and Daphne jars. There are a couple of kids that we sponsor out of Haiti. Uh, Several years back, we did this, and we had our kids involved so that their view of the world could be bigger than just themselves. So do you want to help your sister, and you go, so here's the deal. The Olympics are always a race, but this is going to be more like curling, where it's really, really slow, right? (laughs) Okay? So you go down this aisle, look for anybody who's waving money at you, because that's how it happens in the Olympics, and you go down this aisle... Look for anybody waving money at you, let them put it in the jar, and then there's a table in the back that you guys can put those on. Thank you. Ready, set, go. They're moving faster than a curlers. I'd start, but you guys are busy looking at them. Go ahead, they're cute. <laughs> Oh, this is how we should pass the offering plate, too. <laughs> Kyle says, yep. Yeah. All right, all right. The Olympics, they are still coming around, all right? The Olympics have started. My family has been looking forward to this for, well, what is it, two years, four years? Since the last time, because we love the Winter Olympics. We got some money over this way, too. Um, oh, there we go. She's coming. Good. We love the Winter Olympics. We love the different sports. We are an outdoor family. Uh, we like to sled, at least when we were younger and our bodies could handle it. Um, we like to snowshoe because that's like walking except on snow. We like to ski. Anybody here ski? Go ahead. Show of hands. Go, go ahead. I I knew I'd have at least two. Was there only two people that skied? Anybody? Oh, wow. This is going to be Okay. Cross-country ski, downhill ski, Nordic track ski, accidentally ski when you get out of your car on ice. <laughs> okay, good. I'm, I got more hands there. Good. Good, okay. So there'll be less than I thought on this one. How many of you have ridden a chairlift before? Okay, about half. Maybe a little bit better than half of you. Oh, my goodness, chairlift. We got a picture of a chair. We do have a picture of a chairlift up there. Who wouldn't want? to ride a chairlift, right? You wouldn't want to. Some of y'all scared of heights, I know, but listen, most chairlifts around these parts are two-seaters, so you can at least hold the hand of the person next to you, right? Some bigger lodges have three-seaters, some have four-seaters, but most are two-seaters. Now, that means if you're on one seat, there's one open seat, and who wouldn't want to ride a chairlift with somebody they didn't know? I mean, come on, this is anywhere from three minutes up to seven, eight, ten minutes, depending on the lift. I mean, you don't know them before you get on the lift. You don't know them after you get off the lift. The only thing you have in common is that you take wood to your your feet and fly down a mountain. That's three to ten minutes of just greatness, isn't it? Who would not want... I don't like that. (laughs) Okay, I'm just here to tell you, it's not very pastoral of me, but I don't like riding chair with other people. If it's not my kids, if it's not my wife, if it's not somebody I brought up the mountain or know from the mountain, I don't want to ride with them because they might talk the whole time. <laughs> or they might not talk at all, that's just as bad. <laughs> they might be crazy. They might push me off the chair. They might be the Antichrist. Oh, where did that come from? I'm going to come back to that, okay? Oh, don't, don't. Keep listening. I'm going to come back to that. Whew, if someone in the ski line looks at me and says, hey, bro, are you single? Do you, you need them to ride a chair with? I'm like, oh, no, no, go ahead. I got to tie my ski boots. <laughs> Steve knows that ski boots don't have laces. They got buckles. I got season passes with my kids as the second year we've had season passes. So I've been up and down the lifts, not down, thankfully, because I ski down. But I've been up the lifts well over 100 times this season alone. And twice have I ridden with somebody else that I don't know. Twice. First time, it was a freshman from L.C. She was sweet. Her uncle made, like, conversion vans that you could sleep in. So I looked him up, and it was, I was the creepy guy that kept asking questions. Okay, and the second time wasn't yesterday, but the, the Saturday before, I rode up the ski lift with a guy who was three decades my senior. He told me so. Okay, told me he lived about 100 yards outside of Mount Spokane State Park. He was bemoaning the fact that he could no longer hitchhike up Mount Spokane because people wouldn't pick him up. And he started telling me about all the different places that he lived, all right? And then he told me his religious views, and I didn't even ask him. (laughs) Three minutes is all I had with the guy, right? But at the end of the chair, right, I got off. I went a hard left. He went a hard right. never saw him again, and I was confident that God said, James, you need to remember what you know. Remember what you already know about skiing, Lord. In the world that we live in, it is easy to get pushed around, to be led astray. And God's telling us we need to remember what we already know. Makes sense? If it doesn't, I hope it does by the end. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you that we can laugh. Uh, I do thank you for opportunities where we can interact with people who we don't know, and we can learn from them, and frankly, we can learn from you. I pray, Lord, that we would learn from you this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab your Bibles, your phones, your apps, whatever you use, and turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Elena read the text that I'm preaching from this morning in its entirety right before we sat down. Thank you, Elena, for that. And thank you guys for singing, by the way. I didn't sing those last two songs because I just sat and listened. You heard, like... They were, you guys were, it was fantastic. You we were worshiping today. Okay, so we're, uh, sorry, back to this. We're in a sermon series titled, Not Your Normal Dear John Letters. And we're looking at these letters that a guy named John, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote to a church in Ephesus. He's writing to this church because there have been people who have left the church and are trying to convince others that are still in the church to come with them because they have these new beliefs. And they want to try and convince them of these beliefs. Now, several times in our text today, almost word for word, John says, you need to remember what you already know. Almost word for word. You need to remember what you already know. Okay? Let's start in verse 18. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. I was supposed to preach from this text last week when the kids stayed up here during family-friendly service, and I didn't realize it until Connie, our children's ministry director, texted me before she got on a plane to go to Hawaii and said, have fun teaching the kids about the Antichrist. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, It would have worked. I mean, it starts off, dear children... Right? But then the last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming and already much such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. We live in a world where the Antichrist and the idea of the Antichrist has been shaped by books like the Left Behind series. Read them? 1990s, late 1990s. Okay, let me me go a little bit further back for some of you other people. The late great planet Earth, 1970s. Okay, these are books where this powerful figure, this Antichrist, joins the European Union, gives global moneyless society, and just attacks everything there is about Christianity and all things Christ. Books like that have had Christians on edge, sitting there wondering for years and years and years, Is this the, are these the end times? Is that the Antichrist? Is this Is this finally it? And for centuries, people have been looking around, pointing fingers, saying, that's the Antichrist. Started with Nero, Long time ago. Okay, then Napoleon made the list. Hitler was on the list. Gorbachev was on the list. The Pope made the list and any American president that you didn't vote for but that still won has made the list. I was <laughs> surprised I didn't get an amen to that. <laughs> The Antichrist is here. Books like these help shape that. The end of times. John did say that, right? He said the last hour has come. He wrote that 1,900 years ago. That's a long hour. So was it then or is it now? And who is the Antichrist? I want to tell you something that you already know if you've been in church for years. Any sort of time. If you haven't, then this is new, and you'll hear it again at some point. The historic church has traditionally taught that the end of times is between when Jesus came the first time and when He comes back the second time. Those are the that's the traditional teaching of the historic church between when Jesus came the first time and when He comes again. As a Christian, do you believe Jesus has already come once? Yes, you can shake your head if you don't want to answer out loud. Okay, yes, even non-believing people, not non-Christians believe that there was a guy, historians, there was a guy who lived roughly 2,000 years ago in Galilee that made a splash, did some teachings, and and he he was hung on a cross. Non-Christian historians believe that. So Jesus already came once, right? Has Jesus come back again? No hope not because according to the left behind series we're all toast if he has <laughs> if we remember what we already know that the end times or sometime between when christ came the first time and when he comes the second time then yes we are living in that last hour and we don't need to be afraid because jesus wins and we're part of his team okay now let's talk about the antichrist because that's scary Or antichrists, as John likes to say, are they here? Is he here? Well, John said yes, 1,900 years ago. And maybe his explanation is a little different than what we would think. See, we hear antichrist and we think powerful global leader, right? One person, which may still be the case at some point, but John sees this through a different lens. Anti. What what does the word anti mean? Against, right? Opposed to. Not agreeing with. I am (laughs) anti-broccoli. I don't agree with it. (laughs) Anti, okay? It means opposed to. It means against. Now, Christ could also be translated as anointed one. Could also be translated as Messiah, all right? So, anti-Christ could easily be translated as anti-Messiah, So therefore, in the Greek, when you see the word antichrist, it means somebody who was opposed to Jesus as the Messiah. People who claimed that Christ wasn't the Christ, that Jesus wasn't the Christ. We could just as easily reread this passage and say, dear children, the last hour has come. You have heard that the anti-messiahs are coming and the anti-messiahs have already appeared. These are people who are opposed to what you already know. You've got to remember what you already know, because John says there's going to be people who try and lead you astray. Verse 26 in chapter 2, I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. This is 1,900 years ago. Okay, well, 50 years before that, the apostle Paul in Acts 20 told the church in Ephesus there's going to be people who try and lead you astray. 20 years before that, Jesus looked at his disciples and said there's going to be people who try and lead you astray. 70 years later, John writes, there's going to be people who lead you astray, so I'm writing you to warn you about those people. So he mentions Antichrists, and then he goes off on this. Very next sentence, verse 19. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left us, it proved that they did not belong with us. This is right after he says antichrists have appeared. So is he equating the people who have left the church with antichrists? Well, I've been here at this church for 16 years. We've had a lot of people come. We've had a lot of people go. And not once have I ever called any of those that left an antichrist. (laughs) Okay, so if any of the people who have left First Church are watching online, I am not calling you the antichrist. Please hear me say that. And John wasn't saying that the people who left because they got a job transfer to Philippi or because they moved to Galatia. He wasn't saying they were the Antichrist just because they left. He was saying they were Antichrist because of what they were teaching. And they were teaching things different than what the church already knew. How do I know this? Because John keeps driving this point home. Verse 20 and 21. But you are not like that For the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. I am writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. John says, I'm not writing to you something new. I'm writing to you something that you already know. You know the truth. Verse 24, so you must remain faithful to what you have been taught could just stop there. The Olympics are on, right? Let's go watch them. You must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we we enjoy the eternal life that he promised us. Remain faithful to what you've been taught, to what you already know. And what exactly is it that these people who left the church in Ephesus, that John is calling Antichrist, what is it that they are teaching? Come back with me to that chairlift ride two Saturdays ago. Remember the guy, right? Tried to hitchhike up Mount Spokane, wasn't that long. I hope you remember it. We were about 90 seconds into a three minute, five minute ride up. And, you know, he's told me all the different places he lived. And then he, he finally says, Well, where have you lived? Well, I've lived in Spokane. I've lived in Montana. I've lived in Chicago. Oh, what'd you do in Chicago? Right? Well, I worked with junior high and senior high kids, in leadership development. Oh, do you still do that now? What you got to understand is I never lead off with, I'm a pastor, because people <laughs> would jump off the chairlift. <laughs> <laughs> okay? So he says, He says, oh, you still do that now? Well, kind of. And I'm like, all right. I pastor a church down in Spokane. Hmm. He says. And in the next 90 seconds, I got to hear that he was a religious man. All right? He actually had a friend down in town that pastors a church. Can't remember the name of the church. Can't remember the name of the friend. Apparently, they're close. Right? (laughs) Right? But he says, I've got my views, and I've got my sources. Hey, man, what's your sources? He says, I always keep a Bible within arm's arm's reach. And I got the Constitution next to it, I got the Bill of Rights next to it, and I got a whole bunch of other old documents next to it. He says, I believe in God. Didn't miss a beat, okay? I believe in God. Don't know if he's a he or she. He said, but, and that whole Jesus thing, right? Not God's son. Not saviour. I kid you not, this is what he said to me. He's looking at me through his goggles. He says, I think that Jesus was an illegitimate son of Mary and some Roman soldier, and the other guy did the honorable thing to raise him up. Okay, and he had, like and then he was a good teacher, he said. He had like five commandments that were good. At that point, I knew he hadn't opened scripture for a little while. <laughs> okay, but he comes right back to that. That Jesus thing, no, nah. don't believe it. And with that. <laughs> chairlift ended. So we stuck our, t- our tips up. He went right. I went left. And God said, you got to remember what you already know. What were the people in Ephesus that had left the church that John was calling antichrists? What were they teaching? The exact same thing this guy was sharing with me on the chairlift. Listen to it. Verses 21 to 23. So I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between lies and truth. Verse 22, and who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either, but anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Did you catch that? Did you catch the similarities with my three minute ride with, and listen, I'm not like, he's not the capital A Antichrist, okay? But he was Antichrist. He was opposed to the idea of Jesus as Messiah. So what were the people in Ephesus teaching? Two things. Two main things that really rubbed John raw, that he was saying, stay away from that. Remember what you've been taught. The first is this, that Jesus was not the Christ. He was not the Messiah. This is what was being taught. All right? That would make those people anti-Messiahs, anti-Christs. The second thing that they were teaching is that the connection between Jesus and God was not really any sort of deep connection of any sort. Okay? It wasn't Father, Son, wasn't One, wasn't any of that. Those are the two things that they were teaching. So let me unpack those. Because John seemed to think that we needed to be reminded, or at least his audience needed to be reminded, that they needed to remember what they already knew. If you have been following Jesus for three minutes, three days, three weeks, three months, three years, 30 years or more, have you ever heard that Jesus is the Christ? Okay, if you haven't, I'm doing a pathetic job as a pastor. And Tim, we need to start picking out some songs that have that in there too. Okay? Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one who came to save us. I'm saying that plain as day. Don't just believe it because I say it. Believe it because John says it, but even more than that, believe it because Jesus says it. All right? John wrote a life story of Jesus called the Gospel of John. And in that gospel, in the fourth chapter, we see Jesus sitting at a well. His disciples had gone into town to get some food. He was there. A woman came out from the well. There's a Samaritan uh, town nearby. And listen to what the conversation was between the two in the English Standard Version. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Ah, when was the last time you used that language, I who said to her am he? Let me read it in a slightly different translation. means the exact same thing, okay? The New Living Translation. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Is that clear? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I am he. I am the Messiah. I am the one that you just mentioned was going to come someday. I am he. Pretty cut and dry. Jesus said it. Seventy years later, John writes, because John was a guy who laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, he would have heard the heartbeat of the Messiah. John says, anyone who says Jesus is not the Christ is a liar. He's the Antichrist. Excuse me, pretty cut and dry, pretty clear. That's one of the first things that John would have taught the church, all right, was that. Now, I'm guessing that the second thing he taught the church was the connection between the Father and the Son. I don't have John's AD 93 preaching schedule. That'd be cool if I had that. But I do know that when he wrote the life story of Jesus, he added in there a few things that Jesus said about this connection between. He and God. Listen to him. We're going to start in John chapter 10, verse 30. These are all things Jesus said. The Father and I are one. Next verse. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Next verse, John 14. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, but yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? John chapter 17, verse, oh, stay in there. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. John chapter 17, verse 21, I believe. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Those are just a handful of the times Jesus said something like that. So then John is kind of like, um, you deny Jesus, you deny the Father. You deny the Father, you deny Jesus. Jesus. Because we are interwoven, pieced together, unexplainably the same, yet separate. This is a foundational teaching of the church. And John says in chapter 2, verse 24 of our text today, So be faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. Remember what you already know. Don't be swayed by people who are leaving the church trying to tell you that Jesus isn't the Christ. Don't be swayed on that chairlift by somebody telling you Jesus isn't the Christ. And John could have left his argument at that. He could have said, you gotta believe it because I told you, and you gotta believe it because that's what the church has taught forever and ever, amen. But John doesn't leave it there. He says, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe what the church has taught, believe what somebody else is teaching you, someone pretty important. Verse 26 and 27. I'm writing these things to you to warn you not to be led astray. Verse 27. But you have received the Holy Spirit, And he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. The Holy Spirit affirms, confirms, ratifies, verifies, endorses, authorizes, approves, sanctions. The Holy Spirit says this is who Jesus is. Christ, the Messiah. The Holy Spirit confirms that in us. Now, as a big C church with countless denominations around the globe, we don't agree on everything. Agreed? Yeah, we can agree that we don't agree on everything. All right? And there are... People who will take this passage out of context and say, well, the Spirit has taught me this, so I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go start my own denomination. I don't have to believe because the Spirit is teaching me. We have to take this in context and keep it in context. John is talking about who Jesus is, so he says the Spirit lives in you, confirming what is true, and what is true is who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God. We may not agree on everything with denominations around the globe, but who Jesus is has to be central. It has to be unchanged. It has to be foundational. After all, who Jesus is determines who we are. We're a forgiven people, sought after by a God who loves us unconditionally enough to become one of us so that we can be in relationship with him both now and forever. It's what verse 25 says. Because of Jesus Christ. John says, you've got to remember what you already know. This is who Jesus is. Now, I may seem like I'm making light of riding up a chairlift with somebody else who I may or may not ever see again. And I'm not trying to talk poorly about this guy one way or the other. What it gave me the opportunity to see and hear Is it the same thing John was warning his people about 1,900 years ago? (laughs) We still need to keep warning our people about 1,900 years later. We need to remember what we already know. Because three minutes on a chairlift could sway somebody. Three minutes in front of a TV could sway somebody. In front of a radio, in front of a podcast, in front of a person who is declaring that Jesus is not the Christ. Don't go astray, church. Remember what you already know. Let the Holy Spirit affirm in you that that is true. And in the words of the guy who hired me, think about that this week, okay? Spend some time with the Holy Spirit affirming who Jesus is and what that means to you. Will you do that with me? Let's pray. God, there are times where We open scripture and we study, we dig deeply and we think, wow, that doesn't really relate to us. But there are times where it is so evident that we are wrestling with the same things that your early believers wrestled with. God, 1900 years later, we still have people who are saying Jesus was just a good teacher. They're denying the fact that he was the Christ the Messiah, the Savior of the world. They're denying that he was you and you were him and somehow the two of you are one even though I don't understand how that works. God, as there are going to be times in all of our lives, whether we're young or old, where, where people are going to intentionally or unintentionally try and sway us away from these truths, I pray that you would help us remember what we already know and that is who you are. We thank you that you are Savior, We thank you that you are one, and we thank you that you love us enough to walk this journey with us and to let us be part of your story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you please stand with us?